the sisters' perspective is a forum where individuals come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens. The sisters' perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The Sisters Perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sisters Perspective, giving the world a voice. I am Lara Lane White, your host, with special correspondent Elizabeth Del Lillo. Today, we are both pleased and excited to have two of the leading voices in the realm of human trafficking. First, she is the author of the best-selling book, Stretched Beyond Measure, When the Angels Were Crying. She, is, she survived the horrors of sex trafficking to go on to become a source and example and a leader of the pack in advocacy, sharing her story of survival and motivating young victims of this horrible injustice. She is powerful. She is Dorsey Jones. And right next to her, as a scholar, she has more than 15 years of experience as a psychotherapist and clinical child psychologist. She led the project to develop policies and protocols on domestic sex trafficking for Atlanta's public school system. She has served as clinical director for organizations such as USWART and most recently, the Joyous Beginnings and Urban Trauma Positive Impact Center. She is also the founder and creator of the Atlanta's Social Justice Cafe for Girls. She is none other than Dr. Charnel Miles. Ladies, thank you for being part of this dialogue in human trafficking. I am excited about the work that you're both doing as advocates, and I am inspired by your, act, your activism. Now, before we jump into our dialogue, the occasion invites each of you to share your latest endeavors. Dr. Miles, why don't you start with what you are doing? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on. Um, I appreciate being able to have this conversation with you and your listeners. Um, and currently, as you mentioned, I am the Executive Director for Julius Beginnings um, in the Urban Trauma Positive Impact Center, which is an exclusive trauma-informed therapy and uh, social justice advocacy center here in Atlanta, and primarily we serve children um, as young as five, all the way up to adults, and most of the individuals who come in and receive services through Julius Beginnings has a history or have a history of some form of trauma. Um, oftentimes these individuals may be involved with juvenile justice, the adult legal system, um, or may have even come to the attention of a medical provider, um, but they are all in need of some type of um, trauma-informed service. Um, outside of the treatment that we provide, we also provide advocacy, and our advocacy looks a little different um, in that we provide free initiatives to people 
for the most marginalized people, primarily children and women of color who are really in need. Um, so that advocacy um, can look like, you know, one of our programs called the Two-Gen Maternal-Fetal um, Connection Pericare, where we actually work with females who have experienced some type of sexual assault, sex trafficking, whatever it may be, um, but they also have some mental health stuff going on. So the goal of the program is really to get in and work with the family to bridge the gap between mental health and physical health, particularly so that we can help that family separate um, the generational uh, transmission of different traumas that happen within our community. So not only working with the mother, but also working with the child up until the age of four. So those are just a couple of things that um, we do at Joyous Beginnings. Um, and then the other thing is, first you mentioned the Social Justice Cafe for Girls, which is a, an initiative really against the work with some of the most marginalized girls in our urban communities um, who may have experienced trauma, who may not have experienced trauma, but just have a lot of vulnerabilities. So, the goal of that program is really to bridge the gap between young ladies and older women, older women who have really paved the way in the area of social justice. And we talk about all issues that affect girls domestically as well as internationally. And we also do some work internationally with the girls. Yes, that's very, that's awesome. But that, the international element uh, also gives them a, a, a lot of, I would imagine would give them a lot of exposure to cultures beyond what they know, with their everyday, you know, their, what their everyday culture is. So that, that, that is so awesome. I, I, I really do appreciate the work that you are doing. Uh, Dorsey Laquan. You. Oh, you're welcome. Dorsey Laquan, please share with us. And you, I, I'm, I'm forever, I am forever impressed with your story and the things that you are doing. And, and to me, you are carrying, you're one of the, the leaders of the pack, just carrying the banner for advocacy. Talk, talk to us a little bit about what, uh, you know, sh share your story and tell us about what you're doing. Okay, thank you for having me as well. Of course. I work on Dr. Miles. Uh, well, I am a lead case manager with Spark, and what I do is I uh, provide services to girls who have been either exploited or at risk of being exploited and sometimes those children are they come in as walk-ins through the mental health department or the fam the mom or whoever the caregiver is might um, just need some help to assist with getting them back on track and then we have those kids who actually have went before a judge and they have identified that there's some risky behaviors and they'll make a referral for the child to come to the center um, to receive services for us. Uh, I'm responsible for just making sure that those children get the services that they need. And then also there's a group uh, called Voices on Thursday. I help facilitate that group. Um, just uh, making sure that the, the child um, is getting the services that they need and that they are being provided with self-care uh, trauma-informed issues are being addressed and also if they have to have um, mental health evaluations, we make sure that they get those things as well. 
And sometimes what we learn is that when children come in, the centers, sometimes their parents have issues too that need to be addressed. So it's our responsibility to make sure that the parent is getting what they need as well, because sometimes you can put things in place for a child, but if the house is not getting the benefits and the resources that they need, then it's not, uh, it's not gonna work. So outside of that, I'm just uh, Dorsey. I'm, I, I go out and I speak if I'm called. Um, I try to make a difference as much as I can. And, I, uh, and you are making a difference. You are definitely making a difference. Talk to us a little bit about your book. I'm, I'm really interested in that. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very inspired by the things I'm hearing about it. Well, I wrote that book about five years ago. And um, I wrote that book based on my life and what I experienced growing up. I can't say that I had a, a pimp. But what I always say is that... Uh, Deprivation was my pip. It was some issues in my home that caused me to uh, use my body inappropriately by the men in my community. And it was an ongoing cycle from the age of 11 to almost met my 18th birthday. So um, I experienced a lot of uh, trauma. I experienced a lot of unhealthy sexual behaviors. Mm -hmm. I lived with over 32 different families, not through defect, not because my mother didn't want me. I just knew that it was something so much better in my home. So um, I was really ashamed of my life and ashamed of the things that I did. But it wasn't until, you know, my husband was talking to me one day and told me that I needed to write a book about my life. And even at that moment, I was too embarrassed and too ashamed to disclose to the world what I had been through. But the more I wrote, the more I realized that it was okay to talk about it. And, and I, I wrote... I Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that that was probably very liberating uh, for you to, to really talk about that and kind of get it, get it out in the open. Uh, also, could you talk a little bit about uh, why you, you, you mentioned earlier that you uh, had problems, you know, really talking about, uh, you know, really talking about what your experience was. So it sounds like you had some problems maybe self-identifying as someone who, who was, you know, abusing yourself and being sexually abused yourself. Can you talk a little bit about why that happens? What is, what is it about um, our individuals who are experiencing this and why they have uh, a problem self-identifying? Well, sometimes it's just, it comes from just being embarrassed and shamed and, you know, you don't want to... Uh, take the stigma that come with it as far as you were, you sold your body. Um, say for instance, when you, when you talk about self-identifying, if I had access to a home and I had access to food and I had access to clothing, I was, I had those things, but at the same time, there was still a need that I didn't have. And sometimes people don't, um, it's not easy to say that I sold my body because there's so much shame with that. And then you worry about the stigma that comes with how a person is going to treat you, how they're going to look at you. And um, it's just difficult. Gotcha. It's difficult, it's difficult to, to wonder in the back of somebody's mind how they perceive you and what they think about you. And when you are a person and you worry about how somebody perceives you or what they think about you because 
at that moment, I think I was more like a people person. I was worried about what somebody else thought about me opposed to what I thought about myself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dr. Miles, in your experience, do you see a lot of that as well? Can you kind of piggyback on what she was saying? Do you see that in your experience as well? I do. Um, working with children and adults, I think, you know, just developmentally, there's a lot of reasons why um, people don't self-identify. You know, there are some people who are so used to just being abused um, that for them, they know that it's uncomfortable, that it hurts, that something may feel wrong, but there's also that sense of normalcy. Um, and while I'm saying that, I'm thinking about, you know, an actual um, young lady who I worked with, she was a young adult um, who lived up in North Georgia. And for her, she had never experienced anything differently. So, you know, having sex with her father was normal for her. And, wow. you know, truth be told, there wasn't even the reason that brought her into therapy. It was something totally unrelated. Um, but, you know, happened to come out during one of our sessions. Um, and that was not something that at that time she was willing to change because, again, that's all she knew for, for her entire life. Wow. Um, but then, you know, as Dorothy said, you do have some people who are survivors who, um, you know, initially when you start working with them right after their trauma, um, they're sort of still in that what we call hot brain or where the trauma is prevalent in terms of their response system. So they may not identify as a, um, as a victim. Um, you know, they are sort of living based on their trauma and their experiences. So sometimes it does take, or oftentimes it takes the clinician, um, case manager, whomever is working with that individual to really sit with that person. Um, and number one, make sure that they are stable, that they're not in danger anymore, and that they understand it, that they know that. Um, and then educate them about what trafficking is. Educate them about what sexual abuse is so that they, you know, gain a clear understanding that what was happening to them is not right and that they are a victim and that they have been taken advantage of. Wow. That, that brings me to our, um, our, our uh, focus on the stigma uh, associated with um, being sexually abused and, and trafficked. Um, Elizabeth, do you have a, is there a question that you wanted to ask? I do have a question. Um, and Ms. Jones or Dr. Miles, either one of you can answer this, but um, like in your opinion, what aspects of our culture specifically uh, contribute to the stigma of being Elizabeth, Yeah, Elizabeth, we're, 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 um, we're, okay, ask your question once again. Um, in y'all's opinion, which aspects of culture contribute oh. the most to the stigma of a trafficking victim? I'll go ahead and ask them. What she's asking is, um, what aspects of our culture, and we know that culture plays a major uh, influence on that stigma, but what aspects of our culture contribute to that stigma? I mean, what, and, and what can, uh, you know, what, I don't know, what, 
What, what's your perspective on, on the stigma overall, um, uh, Dorsey? Well, I believe that the culture plays a role because the root cause is the sex exploitation. And it, it often different from one country to another. But when you really think about it, the, the trafficking is a complex issue that is often driven by like social, economics, and culture and other factors. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I agree with you. I think um, I think it, uh, the economy definitely plays a role. I, I think government plays a role. I think things like um, you know, uh, even even if we were to even hit on affordable housing, these are the types of things that do play a role, but do, so, so in today, if I, I know that um, we've, we've all read about the uh, owner of the New England Patriots and his recent controversy, uh, I think he went to, uh, 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 they got him on some type of a human trafficking violation, but uh, just in the wake of of these uh, these high-profile billionaires and celebrities who are getting caught up in different types of sex scandals, how do you think um, the impact of uh, let's see, we've got the Me Too movement going on, for example, that is aimed at reducing gender discrimination? Do you think that the Me Too movement, for example, will impact the amount of human trafficking or sexual abuse in, in American culture. I'm gonna let Dr. Miles answer that simply because it's a part of that movement and she could give you more insight than I can. Okay, Dr. Miles, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, so, so and to, to piggyback off of the last question, you know, when you think about our culture, how many times do we remember, you know, our great grandparents or our grandparents saying, you know, hey child, go in the other room while I'm talking, or you better not go out of this house and tell our business, um, or you know, just kind of keeping kids in the dark or keeping family members in the dark. So when you think about our culture, we are a culture that really never spoke up. You know, um, we couldn't go outside of our homes and tell what was going on in the homes. So for a lot of individuals who may have experienced um, sexual abuse, uh, familial trafficking, you know, it stayed within the home. Um, you, you, kids are afraid to, you know, go and tell a teacher or a, a counselor, um, whatever adult may be available. Um, and right. I think that is, you know, a, a big part of why we had so many cases, um, just simply because people were too afraid to speak up. And when the Me Too movement came about, when New R. Kelly came about, that was a chance of liberation. That was a chance to say, you know what, no more, no more hiding in secrecy. Um, and even with not being able to speak up, that causes that causes such a sense of shame, mm -hmm. um, embarrassment, and mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the stigma came from. Or you know, if you said something, you were labeled as crazy, or you were labeled as a liar. Um, you would lose friends, you would lose family. 
You will lose yeah. money. You will lose all of your support. Um, so there are so many reasons why that stigma, even with the Me Too movement and everything going on right now, we are still really fighting to decrease that stigma, especially in the African-American um, community. Then the other thing to look at is, you know, um, generational trauma. Mm-hmm. That's one area that I, I study. Um, and, you know, look at the, the undertones, look at the, the nonverbal um, uh, words or statements that we make to our children, to grandchildren. Um, yeah. I had a young lady who I was doing an assessment with, and her mother was sitting there. And um, her mother said, you know, oh, she'll be okay. I was trafficked when I was her age. You know, she'll be okay. I'm okay. Oh, wow. So when you hear a message like that as a child, you, you know, you have to think about how much power a message like that holds for our young kids today. Absolutely. There are many, many reasons why this continues and why the stigma is there. Wow. And, you know, to piggyback on what Dr. Miles said, what what I see too is, is the last statement that she talked about. A lot of times parents feel like because they were able to go through uh, sex trafficking, exploit, um, child exploitation, uh, being raped, whatever the case may be, they didn't deal with that problem when they were growing up. They just kind of like put it on the back burner and they lived their life. But then when that general um, curse, that generational curse came back to visit their house, that this is a new era and a new time with different children and they don't react the same. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't do things the same. So you can't expect for that child to handle that situation like you handle it because what it does, it, it causes friction in the house. And then that child feels like my mom didn't support me. She doesn't love me. She's taken up for the guy who did this to me. Mm-hmm. And then that's a whole nother bag of, of more stuff that you got to deal with. More trauma, more, um, hostility and the parents can't get along with the children. Absolutely. That's, that, that's some powerful things you, you ladies are saying. Uh, I can't help but, uh, we, we, I can't have a conversation these days about uh, sexual abuse and the culture and the stigma without hitting on in some way, shape, form or fashion um, the, uh, the latest hot topic uh, surrounding the entertainer R. Kelly. As you know, he's being indicted now on several different counts of sexual uh, misconduct. And, uh, I, you know, I'm almost like, I'm almost like, whoa, you know, they were able to send an 80-year-old man to prison for rape yeah. 25 years ago. Uh, and so, hey, I mean, I would say that, you know, most of the, if I didn't get a chance to watch the documentary, uh, but I would say that, you know, at this point, anything's possible. Um, that's, that's just kind of my perspective. Uh, and, 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 and I would, what do you, what do you ladies think about, about this? I mean, just, you know, just kind of, I know this wasn't part of the, the question, but it's, it's hard for us to have this conversation about sexual abuse without it, at least giving some type of commentary on uh, the latest concerning uh, R. Kelly and, and the women that he victimized. Me personally, I think mine would probably come from a place of uh, 
looking at it from the child's perspective or from the lady who actually was uh, a victim. And I think I'm going to okay. take side her simply because I, I walked in those shoes. Okay. And, um, I'm going to lean more towards supporting her. And the reason gotcha. that is because so many times women, young girls, we fall into that cycle because sometimes we wasn't told that we were pretty enough. We didn't have the latest clothes. We didn't have, we don't feel good about ourselves. It's, it's stuff that's going on with us and nobody's there to help liberate us and, and empower us and speak positive affirmations into our life. So when R. Kelly come along, you have been um, put in a situation where your self-esteem is rock bottom and uh, R. Kelly come and make you feel good and wine and dine you, you don't know that what he's doing to you is really hurting you, um, but it feels good, and he's been able to fulfill some areas in your life that never been touched before. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I personally, uh, and I hope that I'm not, I hope that what I'm saying is not uh, being mean, but I, oh. I want him to pay for every young girl uh, he slept with, mm -hmm. whether they mm -hmm. were old enough to consent, whether they were in their right mind. I want him to uh, stand before a mm -hmm. judge and mm -hmm. they throw the book at him. Because hey. after looking at the video, it made me lose all respect for him. But at the same time, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to help our sisters um, regain their self-respect back and what kind of counseling are we going to put in place to make sure that they are able to thrive and understand that uh, they were taken advantage of. What, what are we going to do to help them heal? Because it's going to take a whole lot of Dr. Miles to, uh, and, and people like that to mm -hmm. yes. make sure that they find healing. They're not going to be able to do it on their own. Some of them is going to take a, a long period of time. To, to bounce back from it. So I, I, I say he's guilty and he hasn't even went and welcomed. Uh, Dr. Miles, from a, uh, I guess from a professional standpoint, or even a personal standpoint, you say what about the, the recent controversy? So, um, you know, early on, you know, people have been trying to um, force the support to, to bring charges against R. Kelly and hold him responsible um, for what we've seen, um, just, you know, the public, the videos, um, all the way back to when, you know, they say he and Aaliyah were married. Um, and I think the evidence is so stacked against him. I, too, agree. You know, he, the book needs to be thrown at him. Um, I, again, believe, based on what we've seen, um, that he has totally taken advantage of young girls, of adult women. Mm -hmm. um, and he done, he's done a lot of harm. But again, it goes back to that point that even R. Kelly 
maintained a culture that protected him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Early on, when the new R. Kelly um, hashtag was created um, by Kenyette Barnes and Oranike, um Stephanie Evans, and, and I had a conversation and actually came up with that hashtag. And, um, you know, just being able to sit with women who are survivors and talk about what they've seen, the impact, and not just the impact with the women who he reportedly assaulted, but just the global impact of what or how he's affected women. Um, it's a shame. It's a shame that he mm-hmm. has not really been brought to justice, you know, way before now. Um, but again, you know, I, I think, and I, I'm sitting here thinking, because earlier today, um, they were talking about him bailing out of jail mm-hmm. and was saying that it was because someone created a gold me and they mm-hmm. raised close to $600,000 really? in think, like two hours. I didn't read that. I, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, even while he was sitting at the McDonald's, he had fans, his fans, who were, you know, singing his songs and uh, standing on top of cars and just celebrating his release, celebrating him. So when you think about even the trauma that they have experienced, I'm quite sure in saying that he probably never got help for the trauma that he experienced mm-hmm. or that he witnessed or saw in his yeah. family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and this is a great example of generational trauma and complex trauma, really. You know, if you don't get it resolved, then you are more likely to harm and offend someone else. And I'm not saying that everyone who has been abused, you know, will turn around and offend someone. That's not what I'm saying. But when you look at his life, when you look at, you know, his celebrity, that has played a huge part in how he's been able to go so long without being brought to justice. Wow. That that is so that is so true about that 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 culture of uh that he surrounded him with that that enabled him, really enabled right. him to do mm-hmm. the things that he was doing. And and, right. and and what do you say about those parents? Who introduced their daughters to uh, to to uh, to R. Kelly? I, I mean, well, the, the one thing I will not do is victim blame. I think, as a culture, okay. historically, um, a lot of people will victim blame because a lot of people will say, "Well, the parents knew. They knew for when he married Aaliyah. They knew not to take their, you know, allow their daughters to go off with him." Listen. At the end of the day, an adult is an adult. Ignorance, how did I say ignorance is not a defense for uh, of the law, for the law, what have you. He was an adult. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yep. And I don't care if it was a five-year-old who came around him. He had no business touching or interacting with anyone, a child, an adult, inappropriately. Um, so, you know, for the parents, did they put their kids at risk? I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. Uh, there was one parent who said that, you know, she, her daughter wasn't even supposed to be going to meet with R. Kelly. Her daughter was supposed to go to meet someone else, uh, the record label. 
So I, I just think this is a really complicated situation. Um, but the one thing that there is proof of, and it they it's the videos, you know. Mm-hmm. So whether the parents allowed their child to go, did not allow their child to go. At the end of the day, we have a lot of women who have been hurt, who have been traumatized, and that's the piece that I choose to to focus on. You know, how do these women recover? Yes. Awesome. Uh, Elizabeth, do you have, we got time for one last question. Was there something that you wanted to ask? Um, one of um, our other interns, Paula Ann, she was, oh. can y'all hear me? Oh, you're still breaking up, Elizabeth. Uh, I'm just looking at the chat box. We have a chat box as well. Um, one question we had uh, from one of the other correspondents is, uh, what? Why do we have a documentary about R. Kelly but not Harvey Weinstein or Louis uh, C.K.? How do you ladies feel about those compared to R. Kelly to other infamous perpetrators of assault? Do they think? Do you think this is a valid? And do you think we have a valid perspective when we talk about Harvey Weinstein and Louis C.K.? Me personally, I, go ahead, Doctor Miles. Go ahead. I'm going to say absolutely not. There is a true um, differentiation, <laughs> for lack of a better word, when it comes to um, perpetrators um, of color and um, those not of color. Um, even looking at Bill Cosby, you know, from Harvey Weinstein, um, I think the first thing that happened to him was he wasn't even arrested. He was allowed to enter treatment. Um, even now, you know, even the the, the owner of the Patriots, um, right, Kraft. So there is a blatant difference in how these cases have been handled. Mm-hmm. There is a blatant difference in the culture that surrounds them. And, and the thing is, you have to understand, yes, R. Kelly had money. There's some, you know, reports that he doesn't have as much as people think because of the mismanagement of his money and, you know, the selling of some of his catalog. But the issue is the celebrity. Yes. The celebrity and the people who they have in place to protect them. And at the end of the day, I don't put it past anybody, regardless of what their status is, regardless of if they're a celebrity or not, how much money they have, if they are a police, if they are a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, the man standing on the corner. All of them need to be held accountable um, and all of them need to be held accountable, and it really does need to be fair across the board. I agree, totally, I totally. Agree. As a professional in ministry, the sister's perspective assumes the right to voice an opinion on the topics discussed in this podcast that are relative to the church. I would like to raise two. First, The Catholic Church was recently in the news when the Pope called cardinals from around the world to the Vatican to address the age-old problem of sexual misconduct and pedophilia among their clerics. If we are to give real talk about the church, the reality is that the Catholic Church is not the only organized religious organization guilty of sweeping the sexual misconduct of its leadership under the rug. 
They are not the only organized religious organization guilty of adopting a culture of silence on these issues. Second, true scholars of the Bible understand the relevance of the sacred text to be a function of the patriarchal society for which it was written. In other words, a 21st century society calls for a 21st century church with core values and a 21st century church that assumes accountability not only for the spiritual health of her people, but for the sins of its leaders, especially if this 21st century church wishes to remain relevant in an age of the Me Too movement. I say to religious leaders everywhere, take authority to protect and nurture the spirits of the people whom you are called to serve. Make the spiritual health of your leadership a consistent part of your agendas and hold those appropriately accountable who compromise the position of minister, reverend, bishop, etc. Take steps today to alter the culture of silence by proactively and aggressively adopting agendas and policies against any forms of sexual misconduct. And always remember that we serve a God who is watching this is a sister's perspective. Good evening, America. This is Lara Lane White bringing you the sister's perspective. Thank you all for listening. A special thanks to Kisa Public Radio. And for more information, you can check our website at www.thesistersperspective.com. And as we leave you, remember those famous words from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Is a Good night, everyone. Where individuals come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guests will present a perspective through a unique lens. The Sisters Perspective gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, health. The Sisters Perspective is a roundtable on hot topics with dialogue on issues in the news. It's a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. So come check us out and give us your perspective. Perspective is a forum where individuals can come to express their viewpoint, their stance, their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the community as well as globally. Each week, our co-host and featured guest presents a perspective through a unique lens. Perspectives gives the world a frame of reference, an ear and a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, as well as the health. Perspectives is a roundtable hot topics dialogue on issues in the news. It is a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. Come check us out. Give us your perspective. Perspectives is a forum where individuals can come to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the global community. Each week, our co-host and featured guest presents a perspective through a unique lens. Perspectives give 
politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, and perspectives is a round table, hot topics, dialogue on issues in the news. It is a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. Come check us out. Give us your perspective. Perspectives is a forum where individuals can come to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on issues relative to topics of concern to the global community. Each week, our co-host and featured guest presents a perspective through a unique lens. Perspectives gives the world a frame of reference, an ear, and a voice on politics, public policy, advocacy, finance, economics, and health. Perspectives is a roundtable, hot topics, dialogue on issues in the news. It is a way of looking at controversial subjects, approaches, and outlooks. Come check us out. Give us your perspective.